Hey there, everyone. From beautiful Fort Collins, Colorado, halfway between Cheyenne and Denver, and 5,003 feet above sea level, I'm Jeff Haber, and you're listening to No Bed of Roses. No Bed of Roses is brought to you by Conexus. Maybe your company is creating video content or you're a brand looking for that coveted direct connection with viewers. Maybe you're an established YouTube creator or you're just starting out. Conexus Interactive Web Video Solutions enables viewers while watching your videos to simply tap on the items they're interested in, directly connecting them to the merchant's shopping cart to easily purchase those items. This all happens without ever leaving the video experience and without ever leaving the site where they started watching the video in the first place. Connexus shoppable video content works using any browser on any device. No download, no plugin, nothing to install. Interactive video like you've always wanted it. Find out more at connexus.com. That's K-E-N-X-U-S dot com. Welcome back, everyone. What kinds of gifts can one generation leave to another? There are so many answers to that question, but one woman's answer seems to have manifested itself in one of the most timeless of gifts, travel. And this was travel in such a unique way that it has shaped and informed the life of the recipient to this day. My good friend, Kevin Hall, joins me today along with my best friend, business partner and wife, Kristen Haber. Kristen shares with us the story of Arloa Burquist, scientist, researcher, adventurer, world traveler, lover of great old fashions, and grandmother. Here's Kristen. She wasn't a normal grandmother in the respect that she was really cutting edge for her era. She lived completely out of the box and pretty much did whatever she wanted. She was a free spirit until she wasn't. We should talk a little bit about Arloa, right? She grew up on a farm in, not far from us. From Fort Fort Lepton. Fort Lepton, Colorado. Her her father was a farmer. She had two older brothers, but a very successful farmer. They had money. He had a car. A lot of farmers didn't have cars then, and they would drive on the weekend, she told me, to Denver to see Valentina movies. They were all shot in like Casablanca or some beautiful like... Arabian kind of setting. And so as a child or teenager, she always wanted to go and see that part of the world. So when she finished college, she saved up her money when all of her girlfriends were saving money to buy clothing. When she finished college, she was saving up her money to take this great adventure, this world trip, where her girlfriends were saving up money to buy hats and handbags and fur coats and all sorts of stuff. Now, the other thing is that she went to college, which is a big deal. Yes. And, and she, she got a degree in microbiology. Microbiology. Oh, and wow. She eventually became a microbiologist at UT. And I think I, I had mentioned, Kevin, she was salty as the day is long, right? By the time I got to her, 
She was <laughs> she was an old woman, and she just so full of piss and vinegar. I mean, she didn't care what anybody thought about anything that she said. It's like sort of that thing where people, I, I find with age and seasoning and, and experience, they sort of lose their bullshit-o-meter. They lose their bu- bullshit filter, and it's just like straight from both barrels kind of a thing is that sort of or like just I think no, she had a, she no. may have had a third barrel well I, I'm not, I, think I don't think she it was, just was double barrel she was very intelligent I mean and I think very well read she really understood science she was a seeker of information in this in the realm of science and she was fascinated by people that had experience in their life like mm-hmm. she was just completely yeah. bored by the Stepford wife kind of uh, existence in suburbia. Mm -hmm. She traveled when she was 27. She was a little bit younger than that. Maybe she was 25 or 26. And she took a ship around the Rock of Gibraltar and went to Marrakesh. And it was all right before... World War II broke out. So she was in Austria. She there's she gave me this really cool book, a travel album of her experience on that trip. There's pictures of her, some kind of a boat on the Rhine with Nazis before the war broke wow. out. I mean, she was oh, fascinating. So she she was uh, This book is this book is crazy, Kevin. She went in 1930 when did in 1939. So she was there before Hitler invaded Poland. Like right, wow. right before it went down, and Kristen has this. Maybe we'll we'll put some pictures on our newly a uh, new our new inspired by Kevin Hall Instagram channel. This thing is bound in wood. It's an album that is probably wow. six inches six inches thick with yeah, memorabilia. My great escape. My great escape. Like the coolest stuff in there. Like pictures of her in the Casbah. In Marrakesh, like she went on a camel ride in the Sahara Desert where she's wearing this fez. She went to Pompeii. She said she (laughs) she she got to the hotel that she was staying in and she said to the cab driver that she wanted to go to Pompeii. She gets in this cab and he's like, "Okay," so he drives her about an hour and a half outside of town. There's no town. Like you drive out of town and you're out of town in five minutes, but then you're just driving through the country. He shows up and parks in the middle of nowhere. There's nothing there except ruins. So then she just gets out of the cab and she said she just walked around Pompeii by herself, like ruins in the middle of nowhere. There's no, not like now where there's parking lots and tourist stands and everything's roped off and you can't go. I mean, she was just, I I can't imagine what the world was like then. It's crazy. Well, this is the thing. I think we we saw the, when we saw the English patient a million years ago, it was like the English patient. It was like that, but it's the real deal. Kevin, looking at the picture of her on this boat on the Rhine with Nazis is kind of mind blowing. Yeah. Something like out of make believe. I mean, we've been so the last, you know, 50 plus years through popular culture and cinema and whatnot to, to like the English patient or gone with the wind. I'm there, not gone with the wind, but like, um, what am I thinking? Gone uh, with the wind. Wrong, wrong context. <laughs> uh, sorry. I was thinking of, I was just thinking of, I was looking at the, the trailers for Lawrence of Arabia. The yeah, other day. that's it. And that's like World War yeah. One era, but you know, just that sort of unexplored, untapped, unmapped parts of the world that you could truly go and literally get lost in and have these wonderful adventures. And it sounds like she, she did absolutely that had some kind of inner 
compass that just said, let's go. Let's, I want to yeah. get out there. Her writing and, and her reflections in her book about what each experience was, she was a really good writer as well. She was very gifted with her her imagery. She really paints a portrait of like the smells of being in the bazaar and then going in with a perfumer and smelling the the different spices and the different, you know, perfumes. I mean, you really, you're there, you're in it. But I think for her, yes, the, the traveling opened a whole world to her beyond growing up in this farming community outside of Denver in Colorado, where I think she felt trapped she wanted to explore the world. And so I think her biggest gift to her grandchildren, she said that she didn't want to die and just give money to her grandkids. She wanted to be able to teach them the freedom of being able to travel, to open the world to them. And that gift far outweighed any you know, monetary gift that you would have received after her passing. Because I think every single children, grandchild, the seven of us, all had a richer experience and connection and memories with her. And the right. learning to the love of travel, the love of meeting people that are different from you, from trying new foods, from new experiences, and that feeling of being off kilter, being afraid. Don't be afraid of being afraid, like lean into it, right? If it scares you, then you need to try it. You need to push past your comfort zone. I mean, it was real. I was very, I grew up very insulated in Dallas. I was quiet. I, I mean, I was outspoken in my family, but when you met strangers, I wasn't really overly conversive. It was the summer of my 16th year. My grandmother said, okay, we're going to the South Seas. And I'm like, what? So, so how, did, how, how old were you? I was 15. I turned 16 on the trip. Wow. Was that the tradition, Kristen? Yeah, it was kind of around that time because you were old enough to kind of be able to travel. And, and she put you in positions where you had to you had to adult you okay wait we're gonna we're, you had to be we're gonna get to that but it, it was it our lowest wheel of fortune where she just came and said she, here's where we're going i think or you had a say no you had somewhat of a say in it i mean like she had taken my brother to england she had taken my sister to france it was a week two weeks how uh, long did they go it was i think we went for two weeks two or maybe three weeks it was a summer trip and she planned it in her kitchen she had a map of the world and she had red thin travelers tape it's almost like you have an image of indiana jones where he was flying in a plane from one place to another but it was these it was covered in red lines because she had been all over the world she'd been to antarctica i mean she'd been everywhere she did it as a single woman women didn't travel abroad by themselves they had to be escorted yeah certainly you right and and she chose a career microbiology which is a whole nother conversation where dominated by men to this day women are still fighting for their she was a female scientist in a male dominated world studying the biological critters in the hot water 
tanks for hot water heaters and why they were exploding. She was working for the Calgon Calgon company. Oh, wow. So yeah, and the sexual harassment that she endured. But so she she, stu- she studied DNA and it was and travel was in her DNA, right? Yes. She studied the mitochondria. Yes. Right? It was her thing. Love it. Her yeah. Thing. yeah. Clearly, this rebellious or pioneer, and maybe not even rebellion, just this pioneering streak. This woman who's, I, I want to do this. I'm, I'm not going right? to be, she's not going to be held down by social convention. She's not going to let anybody define who she is or what she's going to be. And I think that was part of being a woman and growing up on a farm in a very small town. Like, I think she just wanted out. I, I just, what a wonderful example. To, to pave the way for her future generations, you know, to and give inspiration and break the mold of society's expectations or sort of pre-expectations and stereotypes and things like that. Think of, think of the impact that we're all having this conversation here today about this path that she paved. It's so inspiring. Yeah. For me, Kevin, it, it is inspiring. And for me as a young girl, like, I don't think I fully... I got the gravity or the weight of what she was trying to pass on to me with this information and this love for travel and this not to be a woman that's trapped in a man's world. Like if you want to pick up and go, just pick up and go. You don't have to ask permission. You don't need, you don't need a, a, a male escort to travel with you. Just figure it out and, and rubber to the road and go. How, how did she get there? Did she fly? Did so she take she ships? Took, she took did... a ship out of New York across the Atlantic and around the Rock uh. of Gibraltar and then came <laughs> That's in. so cool. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it came in through the Mediterranean and then she went, uh, she was in Italy, then she was in Austria, she came across, she ended up in Paris and back to New York for the World's Fair. She met my grandfather and then quickly got pregnant with my mom. And then right after giving birth to my mom, got pregnant with my um, identical twin uncles. So the freedom that she had all came to a roaring stop with the kids. But then once my grandfather died of, of lung cancer and the kids were grown, she immediately hit the ground again. And that's when all the red tape started showing up in the, on the map, in the kitchen, the frightening things were, I felt like she threw me to the wolves with the biggest growth moments of that experience. That trip with her was we got on a, it was a ferry boat from the Island of Morea to go to this smaller Island. Wait, back up. How did you, so you left, you were in Dallas at the time, right? Yeah, we flew to Los Angeles, and she changed planes. So let's go back. So she said, we're going to go to the South Seas. Yes. Wouldn't she say, go research the South? I mean, because we're going to the South Seas. What does that mean to you? No, it didn't mean anything. I didn't. I mean, I just thought tropical and being a cancer girl, I'm like, yeah, water, ocean. I'm all over that. But I have no idea what in her decided that that maybe because she had just been like, okay, well, I've already done Europe with the kids. I've been there several times. I've taken a few of my grandkids there already. I want to go somewhere different with, with Kristen. Let's Let's take her to the South Seas. Right. So when she told you that, did you research it or you just... I I don't think I did. I think she said, okay, we're going to go to Hawaii. Uh, It was a big trip. We went to Hawaii, Tahiti, Fiji, New Zealand, and Australia. That's pretty cool, Kevin. No? Wow. That is unreal. 16? 
the spice of life right there. I mean, not to sound like a cliche, but holy smokes and all the things that you're saying with beyond trying to, you know, put some sort of value on it with money or some sort of estate that you're going to leave behind. I mean, that's the, the most incredible, extraordinary thing in the world to do these sort of exotic travels and, and plant those seeds with your kids and your grandkids like that. That's unbelievably yeah, but amazing. It, mm-hmm. Like my grandmother painstakingly with the travel agent in Austin, like planned out each leg, where we were going to go, what we were going to do. And you weren't on a tour. We explored on our own. She flew to Dallas, stayed with us. And then we went to DFW to get on the plane. And as soon as my mom, you know, left us and we were on our own, my grandmother was like, out come the cocktails. (laughs) She was like, (laughs) okay, so this is your trip we're doing this, you're doing this. And I'm like, what do you mean? And she, cause up till now, every time you traveled with the family, my dad and mom took care of everything. I wasn't paying yeah. attention to where we were going or how we were getting there. So we got off the plane in Hawaii and she's like, okay, you need to get us to baggage claim and you need to get us, you know, to where we need to go to get to the rental car, to get to the airport. And I'm like, I mean, to the hotel. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, okay, we get off the plane. She goes, so I don't know where are we going? And she wouldn't say anything. I had to figure it out. So you get to, what's your first, you, you land, we in, land in Honolulu. You land in Honolulu. Okay. And aloha, a lay is thrown you, on your You walk off the plane neck, right. and she just stood there and looked at me and she goes, so where are we going? But she knows. She, she has, knows, but she's not telling me a word. So what, you she have to guess say, we're going to a hotel, no, Grandma? No, she'd say, okay, we need to get to this hotel. She gave me oh, the name yeah, of the hotel. Okay. But then she's like- Get us there. We Get, get us there. Yeah. We need to get our bags and we need to get there. And she wouldn't tell me how to do it or where to go. or to So get she didn't say go and hail a cab at the-, no. the or. No. She just say we need to get to the Hilton, the Honolulu Hilton, yeah. and and get our bags. And <laughs> I'm gonna stand here and whistle a happy tune while you yes. figure it out. It's awesome. Yes. <laughs> Love it. She's a natural teacher. She's yes. a guide and a teacher, and yeah. understood. The, now let's the, let's the pic- let's yeah. picture her a little bit. She has the cane. At this? No, she doesn't have the cane. No at cane. That point. So she's no still she's, she's still walking, yeah. yeah she's still real mobile. I mean, this was really like what was her drink? We need that too. Gin and tonic. She was, what was no, she? What did she drink? She drank old fashions. Oh, of course. Old fashions. Yes, old fashions. Like a I, shame little on, grenadine. Shame and, uh, on what me. Is that, bitters and shame bourbon. on she. Uh, Crown Royal old fashions to this day, right? That's yeah. yeah Crown Crown With Royal mottled orange, and she taught me how to. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that wasn't too badly, it wasn't too frightening for me because, I mean, I was 15, but it was still English. We were still, it was America, right? I felt like, okay, it's scary, but it's not that bad. When we went to Tahiti, she, we took this ferry from the island of Morea over I mean, Fiji, sorry, the island of Morea over to one of these other small islands. And of course, everyone gets on the transport boat and she leaves me. She goes upstairs and there's a soccer team, I think, an international soccer. I don't know. No one's speaking English at all. And she completely abandoned me. And she's like, I'll be upstairs. You're on your own. That's where the cocktail lounge was. That's, that's, uh, yeah. I mean, I can still remember that moment to this day. I thought, what am I going to? And she's like, you're a beautiful girl. You don't really need to say much. What was the line she said? Your, uh, your beauty will bring the guys over here, but my brains will keep them? Yeah. Is that? We were, that was in a oh bar in, right? in New Zealand. <laughs> she said, your, your beauty um, brought them over here, but it'll be my brains that keeps keep them, them here. Yeah. 
Mic drop. Oh man. Oh yeah. <laughs> she was pretty fantastic. You go to Honolulu. Honolulu was the first stop. She had planned it meticulously with the travel agent in Austin. Mm-hmm. That mean Kristen that you were going to do a, and you said it wasn't, none of it was a planned tour, but well, did you, it did, was like, she, okay, we had two days on Honolulu. So she, and we had a rental car. And I think another reason why I think I had my driver's permit at the time. And so part of think the age part of the trip being planned around that time in, in our, the grandchildren's ages was that we were able to help drive. I remember we had our little rental car and we drove around the island. I remember going to the Dole Pineapple Plantation, which was fascinating because at that point I'd eaten pineapple, but I'd never seen pineapple growing. That was crazy. And then I remember them pulling the pineapple out of the field and cutting and having it like, you can't get any fresher than that. Um, Cutting it with a machete and us eating it right there. And I remember we went to the World War II Memorial in Pearl Harbor. And then we left Hawaii and we went to uh, Fiji. And that was a bizarre experience. You have the Fijian people, but then they there are a lot of Indians there. They're, they're all the merchants. They run everything. It was kind of a culture shock for, for me. Yeah. And there was conflict between those two yes. cultures and, this, and two societies, right? The native Fijians resented the merchants, the yes. Indian merchants. Yes. Mm. And I think it was kind of like the feeling of what was going on in India with the occupation of the British, um, the British right? Yeah. Commerce was being run by the Indian the Indian culture yeah, and there was conflict and there was a lot of political conflict going on. And then there were several little smaller islands outside of the main Island of Morea that we went to. And we actually stayed on one of these very small islands called beachcomber. And it's only, it's just a, it's like a small, when you think of somebody being, I guess, a castaway on a small tropical Island. I mean, literally you could walk around this Island in five minutes (laughs) Just you, wow. Grandma, and, and Wilson. Yeah, it was like a sand spot. <laughs> Wilson. <laughs> yeah. But it was. I've made fire. It was awesome. That was a really cool experience. We were there for a week. What was the most nerve wracking point of that? You went to, f- I think, five five different countries, it sounded like. Well, right. was it five different countries? You were in Honolulu. Then you went to, so that's United States to Fiji. New Zealand. New Zealand, three. Australia. Four. And Tahiti. We finished yeah. in Tahiti. Okay. That's a great trip, isn't it, Kevin? I mean, so, that's unreal. It's, that's, it's that's so cool. Like, like a dream. Yeah. yeah. I don't think there was... There was, was there anything the, the that... The most nerve-wracking thing was that... When she left you when on the boat? When she left me on the ship. Yeah. I was so frightened by that experience that it really shook me out of my complacency. Like she really was forcing me to open up and communicate with people that by the time that we arrived at the island, that little beachcomber island that we stayed at, all those people were coming over just for like a day visit to the island. But then there were a lot of people that stayed there for the week like we did. They had little buries, little huts that we stayed in. And there was a big common area where you ate every day. But there were 
international travelers there that stayed for the whole week. And so, and she pretty much left me to my own devices. And I think that the people that we met were fascinated by this grandmother traveling with her 15, almost 16 year old granddaughter. I don't think that that's a normal. They're kind of an unusual sight, not yeah. the usual, you know, family with the Nikon around their, their neck and, you know, taking pictures of the sights. You're out there, you know, mixing it up and figuring it out on your own to a certain extent. Yeah, and but Kevin, you don't going, even go yeah, for it. You don't even, I'm not even fully understanding like how bizarre this is because this is just my grandmother. That this, That's just your, your normal. That, that was my normal. That was my experience <laughs> with my grandmother. Yeah, we stayed there for a week, met people from New Zealand, Australia, Brits, Austria. Then to New Zealand? We went from there to New Zealand. To the North Island, right? We we flew into Auckland, and then we took, it was a bus or a train, but we went to the South Island to Rotorua. And we learned, I learned all about the Maoris and we learned all about the... South, I, th- I thought you stayed in the north. Yeah, I thought you were only in the North Island. Oh, the, no- I'm sorry, yeah, the you were southern only, part of the North right, Island. You, right, I'm sorry. Because it wasn't until, it wasn't until Hollywood Squares <laughs> yes, we that we went south. to the South Island. Yes. Right. To go and have that experience and learn all about the natives of New Zealand and to learn about the geothermal properties of the South Island of New Zealand and how they built their huts over these hot springs and steam baths and how they cook their food. I mean, it was, for me, it was like every single phase of the trip, I was learning about World War II and I was learning about how, you know, our produce is grown and I was learning about meeting people internationally and how to communicate with people that don't have the same language as I have and learning the freedom of being responsible and not being afraid to ask questions and how to get from one place to the other. And What was our lowest approach to strangers, to other people? Uh, Chrissy, was she, was she open to it? Did she encourage those conversations at the bar, uh, in a lounge, poolside, or wherever you were? Or was she, because it sounds like she has this... Oh, very gregarious. Ins- she was, She right? was very yeah. gregarious. And so she would engage she would engage with anyone and then just encourage and that pretty much right? but she was a stubborn old goat like right. she was very right. opinionated right. so she <laughs> she almost she enjoyed getting into conversations where you had to joust yeah like the the verbal sparring the she verbal it, sparring right? yeah. was very intellectually stimulating for her and because she was so well read and so well traveled she was a difficult sparring partner like you really had to step up your game if you were going to win an argument with her and she was not going to yield and this is she's an sure. i mean like a 15 year old kid you know and, and a, a world traveled grandmother aged person with a degree in biology and has traveled the world the last 50 years i mean that's that's a tough she's a conundrum part. though kevy because then this is also the woman who would sit on the couch and literally hold beer cans at the pope at, at, at the, at the <laughs> <laughs> when the pope showed up on the news or on the television you know i mean that's that where i said just salty and what when by the time that i got to her i knew uh 
a different woman that she was always fascinating to me because she was so unlike the rest of Kristen's family. I thought, what is this about? And she was just, as Kristen said, just coming right at you. You knew there was lots of stuff that was in there, but she was already obviously in her later years seemed to become, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to say more conservative Kristen or just if she just, um, she hated religion because she felt that it was so stupid. She, she was a scientist and she said, we're going to, the, the, the sun is going to consume our whole universe. Like, so have, our, so our have another drink. <laughs> <laughs> we, it's just, it's going to go supernova and the, the earth is going to be swallowed by the sun. And so she said, she just felt. Did she that, say when? No, she didn't <laughs> say when. I think it's three Tuesdays from. <laughs> Politics and religion were tricky conversations. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing, and 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 so in Kristen's house, which you know, very conservative, very politically very, you know, yeah. and religiously conservative, and, and so I found a kindred spirit, and just that she was this outlier. Is the other the other thing? We were pariahs in Kristen's family. Oh well, you Kevin, met her the first time she when came she to was, she came to L.A. I know, but she was traveling with my cousin Eric and his new bride Dawn, yep. and she was taking them. So when we went to Cheesecake Factory? Yes, yes. But she was taking them. On one of these trips. On one of these trips. That's right, yeah. Um, uh, and yeah. He, she had taken Eric when he was younger, when she had taken all the grandkids, when they hit that certain age point. But I don't, this was a special, she wanted to travel and they were like escorting her or something. I can't quite remember, but she took them to a Treasure Island, which was the little bit larger, more ritzy island in, than, in, in Fiji. In Fiji. A, Cross from where we stayed At on Beachcomber, Beachcomber right. which you could actually see the island from the other island. I mean, they were close <clears> enough, <throat> but far enough apart. Um, and that's when you met her the first time, I think. Yeah. And uh, we were we were getting out of the car and I don't know what trip it was. And she just I was helping her out of the car, Kevin, and she just looked at me and she said, you're an okay guy, Jeff. And it was the way she said it, it was like, boom, I'm in a 1943 movie. You're an okay guy, Jeff. You know, it's just this and we were yeah. we were we were doing like, shots on the rooftop of our building. Oh, was it the 4th of July. 4th of July. You could see the fireworks yes. from Dodger Up Stadium. in the Hollywood Hills, Kevin. And yeah. we, had, oh we had my grandfather's shot glasses. The shot glasses. I don't know why I had them, but yeah. we were doing shots. Yeah, with her. She was so different, so intriguing to me already. So interesting. After all the world traveling, she seemed to I don't know if it was a survival it's mechanism kind of, I feel or like it's a little Anthony Bourdainish. Like the, when you mm, when you tr- when you understand the world on a micro level, you understand life on a micro level, and then you travel the world and taste the flavors and meet all the people. And then as you're older now, your body's starting to fail you. So she was trapped in her body she couldn't go anymore but she had such vision because she saw so much and experienced so much and then to sit on her couch or in her lazy boy and throw you know beer cans at the pope and that she watching the (laughs) national news or reading the wall street journal or the new york times like i said she was very well read stacks of national geographics and she was always watching stuff to do with the cosmos or nova i mean she was just 
brilliant. She was yeah, what's that expression, Kevin? She forgot more stuff than I'll ever know, you know? Yeah, yeah. That just, kind of brain. There's just that hunger to get out there and mix it up. And like you're saying, like this sort of verbal sparring, which was intellectually or mentally stimulating to her, just that, that sort of witty banter repartee that people have back and forth that is, you know, I, I, can, I can picture her. I've, I've not met her, but I can picture her for sure. Yeah, she was a, a, an interesting spirit. And I always just think about, I think about that, that journey, that world trip. And, and um, at the end of it, what she wrote a piece in there, right, Kristen, about really about just the... It was the th- first this, page of the reason why she was taking yeah. the trip. She's pretty much saying that watching the clock, like living this life. Okay, I'm going to sidebar here. They just sent this rover to Mars, right? And did you, Kevin, did mm-hmm. you see that they, one of the scientists had put a hidden message in the parachute? I didn't, I didn't see that, no. So I think it says, well, dear, it's hidden. Dear, You're not supposed to see it. It's a hidden message. Ah, okay. Yeah. Says, <laughs> that explains it. Do you see that hidden message? Well, uh, it's, it's hidden. Like, it's like, <laughs> it's it. like dare to be mighty. And it came from a quote. The full quote was more like, you have to live an extraordinary life to have a rich experience. Otherwise, you're just living like a gray life. Like you have to take mighty steps. You have to live out of your comfort zone. So she wrote in the first page of this travel guide that she put together. Which is called My Great Escape. My Great Escape, number one. Number one. That she said to be, it was compared to being a worm. You're just a worker bee, right? We all just follow these footsteps that society puts in place for us. We don't break the chains of, you know, being the dutiful daughter, the dutiful son, and then you go off to college, and then you get your degree, and then you get a job, and you just work, and then you're paying your mortgage. Like, just that we're slaves, and that mm-hmm. we don't break free from those chains of watching the clock, like from nine to five, and the having to do all this dutiful administrative life crap, right? So she said, you right. have to really fight that and break the chains of that to experience a richer life and to have all these experiences. Because when my grandmother passed away, when she was sick and she was dying, she, her whole family, we were all, we all came to visit her. We were all around her, all of her seven grandkids. Of course, we all have photo albums filled with pictures and memories of our trips with her. She had had several strokes and she was having a hard time. She wasn't able to swallow. She wasn't able to speak. Um, it was very difficult. So she wanted us to come and bring our photo albums and share with her as she's in bed our memories. Did she of, ask did she ask you to do that? Yes. The memories of a life lived, right? And she wanted yeah. to see photo albums of her trips with her grandkids. So be like, my life had meaning. I'm leaving I'm leaving this world, but I'm leaving all of these people richer for having passed on my knowledge and my experience and my love for traveling. So the travel was that important. But she was feeling already when she wrote that preface in that album, Kevin, she was coming off that that farm in Fort Lupton, the futility of the rat race. Yeah. This this was this Great Escape Volume 1 where she goes and she goes on this big world trip as a single woman pre-World War One. To me, this is the thing that I always... World I'm, War II. World War II, excuse me, uh, that I'm always so tripped out about, that the world was going to be changed irrevocably forever. Right. Right after this. Everything 
nothing was going to be the same. I mean, World right. War One was significant, but World War Two was the one that really rearranged the global map and society. I mean, American society fundamentally changed on the other side of this trip that she took. Well, our whole food, our diet, e- every, industrialization, everything, everything changed. Suburbia, like yep. a, a woman's where a woman's place. I mean, the the path that she was going to be on, and it's interesting. What you what you said, Kristen, about about Tony Bourdain and Kevin. I don't know if we were talking about this, but are you a fan of Bourdain's at all? Did we talk yeah. about? Yeah, yeah. I, I watched a lot of a lot of his travel documentaries. So the thing with Tony Bourdain was that he was a great documentarian in the sense of just just really documenting humanity. And what Kristen was alluding to there was that the more he traveled the darker, unfortunately, things became for him because mm-hmm. although there was this unifying this unifying thread of how we eat and break bread together and that, that sense of, of community, he saw just, he, he just saw so much pain and despair a, around the planet. And he may yeah. have been predisposed to this, but... I know, but when you see how rich the tapestry of life is on this planet, and when you travel and you really embrace all the flavors of it, and then you come back... And you watch the news and you hear about how stuck we are politically and how stuck we are in our religious beliefs, then I think you think, what hope? I mean, it's like we can't, it's you, two steps forward, five steps back. So like this we're is, not getting this, anywhere. This is the interesting thing. And you, Kevin, you and I were talking about, it. I mean, this travel, it, 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 travel is an expansive experience. Absolutely. But, but, it's, it's, it's tough. Cause it's like, like you're saying, Kristen, with, with, you know, two steps forward, five steps back, it's a hundred percent on each of us to make that leap. Like your grandma said, you know, you, right. you, you have to break the chains and, and get out there. And a lot of, a lot of, it is fear and be afraid and lean into it. And sometimes I feel like the people we meet have, have a certain kind of propensity toward or, or an attraction to, to that fear or that adrenaline or whatever, you, whatever it is, they're, they're attracted to it. They've drawn it or if they've tasted it once, maybe they're apprehensive at first, but then once they've tasted it, felt it, felt that adrenaline pumping through your veins, seen that smile on someone's face, felt those welcoming arms saying, come in in another language that you don't understand. And then you're eating some delicious, exotic, strange food that you've never tried before. It, it sort of busts open that mainframe and, and sort of recalibrates everything. And then, then you're on your way. I think, well, gosh, I, I've met people that I feel like aren't necessarily inspired to travel, but as soon as they, they take that first trip or, you know, get that sort of spice of life going and it starts sort of priming the pump, then you're on your way. Americans specifically, and it's because I'm one. And when I travel, I don't know how to say this any other way, but it's embarrassing. It's, and I want more Americans to travel. I want them to widen their horizons to be more accepting and more open of different beliefs and different cultures and different ideologies and thoughts. But the times that I have traveled, the places that I've gone, the Americans, it's like watching Wally, the fat, lazy, (laughs) (laughs) entitled, they travel and want the world to bend to them. They want yeah. everyone to yeah. speak English. I, I don't know that Americans own that outright. I, I think that that's probably... This is my opinion. Uh, but the, every, every, uh, From my experience. Yeah, you're entitled to your opinion, but I think we could we could 
paint with a broad brush for tourists from many different okay, countries, Jeff, right? We're in Florence. Yes. Right. I know. I know the experiences. I know the experiences we had, but there are Chinese tourists that are like that. There are German tourists like that. I mean, German tourists gave us the gift of dark socks and sandals. And that's something we can never unsee. <laughs> and right? shorts. <laughs> and shorts and, and, and the sunburn, you know, that sunburn. I know, but I that they think it's like, it's, 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 um, the ideology of traveling is you're going open. You you can't go guarded. You have to go yeah, open. Yeah. There's things that are going to happen and there's things people are going to say and do and you're going to be in experiences that are going to rock the foundations of your world and you just need to be open to those experiences instead so of trying it, to force your agenda on that. That's all true and Kevin and I talked about that and those are the those are certainly some of the wonders and the upside of travel what i was starting to move towards was not necessarily a great thing but it is is this a case of the more you the more you know the less you know or a case where you know the more that you see the less you want to see i think it depends on the person right Yes. Yeah, sure. I mean, going back to Tony Bourdain, maybe he was predisposed for this. So, I mean, he was dealing with depression and not to uh, beat this too much, but he traveled quite a bit and was exposed to a lot of different people, a lot of different cultures. And at least it appeared to me that he was incredibly open. But we got the sense, Kristen, towards the end of that series that there was a fatigue and exhaustion, a sense of despair, but it could have been so many other things that happened. And just talking about your grandmother, the more she traveled, she was stubborn. And her worldview, by the time that I got to her, was not necessarily very expensive. It was still defined by science. And so there was that, which was, you know, which is, and I I don't want to say which was great because this isn't a judgment, but that it was, I was surprised that with all that traveling, and I think we have talked about this, it was more narrow, Kevin, than I would have anticipated from someone who had been exposed to so much. You know what I mean? So I think it was more of a, you could say it was just shrinking, but it was, uh, she was curmudgeon Like the religion really really pissed her off like she just was not going to have a conversation because she was a scientist she wasn't a spiritualist she hadn't crossed the bridge of being able to say okay there's there's some kind of engine or mechanism that is causing these nanoparticles to vibrate like she wasn't that point but it was she was caught up in the dogma of male dominated society and a male dictated religion by human beings that she felt if they weren't as she was very into education and how brilliant you were like she was fascinated by really intelligent people and so if you didn't have an opinion or you weren't well read or you weren't learned or hadn't traveled she wasn't really interested in having a conversation with you Uh, right because you couldn't spar with her it wasn't mentally stimulating and that may come down to just the personality you know if kevin the three of us have this, this if we if we go on the same journey we're coming back with a very different experience, right? It's just yeah. who we are as individuals and our worldview. I mean, that's that's all truly unique for Kevin, for Kristen, for Jeff. Uh, we, if we travel together, we all go to the same places. We're all going to come away with very different. We're going to tell those stories differently from a right. different point of view. And that's all legit. I just wonder if, 
listening even to you saying that, you know, she was that stubborn. Well, if you're exposed to that much, if travel is as expansive and wonderful as we're all saying that it is, and then you come back at the end of this cycle, seemingly, and you sit there and you were perhaps not as optimistic as... Yes, maybe. But then too, for someone who was able to go and do whatever she wanted to go and do, and then her, because she drank, she had her cocktails, uh, she didn't really work out. She didn't take care of herself throughout her whole life physically. I mean, she did, but not like the way we do now. Her body started to fail her. And so she felt trapped in this physical form where her spirit wanted to go and to travel and to seek and to have these conversations. But now she was older and the kids had all grown and we were all off doing our own thing. And then she started to have strokes. I remember visiting her one time she was in rehab. She'd fallen and broken a hip. Then unfortunately she'd recovered from that. And then not too long after that, she fell and broke the other hip. And that's when she was walking on a cane. And I had gone to visit her at her rehab center. And I asked her, you know, words of advice. What could she tell me with her, you know, experience to me where I was at mine and in my twenties at that point. And she said, use your body, use it while you have it, because one you'll just think you'll always have it. And one day you won't have it and then you'll be trapped. So this goes back to your thing, Kevin, just, just get out there, just travel, right? Just go. I think so. I think, I think probably the biggest thing that I hear from people is self-imposed, limitations, you know, and there's that expression that says it's not a question of resources. It's a question of resourcefulness. You know, what, what we focus on, we get more of. And I remember, you know, my, my first trip, I, I couldn't necessarily like financially afford it, but you know, we started thinking about it and, and lo and behold, I get a, it was like a royalty check for, I don't know, 500 and something dollars and round trip airfare to Paris was like 400 and it was under 500. It was like 485 bucks. And so we're like, let's go to Paris you know, let's do it. Kind of that desire. I think that some people have maybe a little bit more of it. Some people may not, but I I hear almost everyone that you talk to travel is always on the list. That's always a bucket list thing for people that are pushing it out into the future or somebody, you know, right around the corner of the next thing. I mean, for us, we're, we're always talking about the next trip and where do we want to go next? We have a big, you know, like your grandmother has a big, you know, one of those gigantic world maps that's on a canvas that's stretched across a frame that you we ordered through, uh, I think, oh, through Ikea. So it's like literally like eight or nine feet across and like five feet high. So it's a gigantic thing sitting right in our living room. And so the kids can always look at it and point to it. And if we're seeing something on a movie or we're hearing something about a certain place, we can go right to that map and point at it. Go, just do it. Don't wait. Don't wait. Figure it out how, when, where. Start putting it on the map. Start putting it on your calendar. And just, just figure out how to do it and go. It's the reason that I thought it would be interesting, Kevin, because this was a gift, a generational gift from a woman who, when she was young and on a farm and looking, there's something out there. There's something out there that I haven't experienced yet. I want to go. She got a taste for that. And she said, I'm going to pay this forward. And with all the other personality things that we're discussing and all the other parts of the chemistry and all the microbiology and all that stuff, it's about just getting out beyond your horizon, seeing what's out there. And then, again, that ripple effect of her directly wanting to share it. And now here we are, decades later, I'm sitting here looking at Kristen and see the light in her eyes and she's back 
on that ferry going, where, what the, where'd she go, grandma? Hello. And she's, yeah. you know, she, <laughs> she's on her own. Love it. Yeah. And it's fantastic. And those are the things that we'll never forget. And of course, we'll shape our worldview. So a, a timeless yeah. gift from Arloa Berquist. To use a somewhat of a cliched expression, it's the spice of life or as Uncle Scott calls it texture, you know, after you've, after you've kind of gone to places that are somewhat, you know, less complicated to navigate, let's say, if I ask certain well-traveled folks, like, so where to next? Like Paris, you know, Barcelona? No, what about like Azerbaijan? Yeah, nice. some places just you just kind of keep ramping it up and try to find that, as, as they say, texture. I don't know. I think if it comes down to my moment of dying and my family surrounding me with photo albums of rich experiences and memories of a life lived. I'll take that over. Yeah. You know, we, I always wanted to go somewhere and we never really got around to it. I just know firsthand from seeing the impact from this one woman, finding that, you know, that through line from the farm on Fort Lupton, that small life that she was destined to have, that she managed to break out of this global life that she experienced and then shared with her grandchildren and just the power of that is significant. And so if you're lucky enough to have someone like an Arloa Berquist in your life, man, well, you're, you're pretty lucky. And if not, then we have to be like, or maybe we have to think like that, that farm girl in Fort Lupton and think what else is out there? hundred percent, a million percent. I think, I think you, if if you don't, have the itch, but maybe it's a bucket list thing that's out there, you know, tomorrow's not promised. So do it right now. The the other part of her life is if we're just talking about Arlo for another, another second is the, the pursuit of microbiology, as Kristen talked about earlier in the man's world. You know, this is a woman who did comprehensive research, Kevin, at UT. And of course, her name appears on none of her papers because all the no, men. She does. She's the assistant. Oh, all the, the all the, the men took the, the credit. The, the right? doctor that yeah. the, the, the professor she worked under. His name was the top, but yeah. she had done all the research. She did all the work. So, not a new story, unfortunately, but hopefully one that's that's going to change. So, all right, there we go. Well, Kristen, thank you for joining us at this yeah. earlier. Yeah, Kevin, thank fun. you, thank you thank for you guys. Jeff, thank you. Stuff. I had no idea what you were going to talk to me about. Good. Well, this is less how we like to do it. <laughs> Just a surprise. Kevin, it was good talking with you. Thank you, Kevin. Great talking with you guys. Good yeah, fun. Yeah, it was fun. I always, I mean, anytime we talk about anything whatsoever, it's always leaves me floating and, and feeling really good. And then, you know, add to travel to the mix and it's it's literally like euphoric. So thank you guys. It's I thought awesome. you were going to say, anytime we talk about things, it leaves me just a bit queasy. I feel a little, <laughs> little lightheaded, little, I need a minute. It may be stating the obvious to say it's not the destination, but the journey. Here's a journey started decades ago by a then young woman desperate to get off the family farm in Fort Lofton and see what's out there. You buy that ticket to the world once, yet it may turn out to be an endless and even timeless journey. Thanks for hanging with Kevin, Kristen, and myself. I hope you'll join me again with new episodes dropping every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Mountain Time. If you enjoy No Bed of Roses, may I ask you consider sharing the link to the show with 
three friends and help us grow. Until then, stay safe and remember, you'll find No Bed of Roses wherever you find fine podcasts. Thanks and see you soon. Bye. Thank you.